becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those of the songs. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. Saw it, saw it. Ready for this? We are. All right. Hey. Hey. Cheers. Welcome to the shores. To the shores. Hmm. Happy right. Wednesday. Yes. Are you marked safe from the alien invasion? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or do you even know? I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I might not even be Michael. Oh shit! <laughs> I never considered that. <laughs> Michael uh, just winked at me. That's cute. <laughs> um, yeah, because the other Michael would not have winked at you. That's right. <laughs> now I know. Yeah, lots of crazy things going on in the world over the last week. I feel like we should just do a rundown, maybe like second half of the podcast and okay. hit some stuff. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to start by discussing the idea of offense and speaking honestly and how you can love someone honestly and with offense. Yeah. So let's start there. Yeah. Do you want to start with your uh, kind of some of the things that you got some feedback on this week? Yeah. Uh, so I think I announced at the end of, um, I don't know if it was the last one or not. Let me find this email. I don't know if it was the last one we recorded or maybe two ago, I announced that I had started a Substack. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've actually put that episode out yet. I don't think so. So either. people may not know, mm-hmm. but by the time you hear this <laughs> and uh, if you follow me anywhere on social media, hopefully you'll see, have seen me talk about that. I feel like the idea of trying to market yourself and what you're doing on social media is very discouraging hmm. because there's so much media on social media that even when people follow you, they don't see your posts. Mm-hmm. And it's true of like people that you follow too. Yeah. You don't see their stuff. And so unless you are posting about something that you want people to know about and posting enough that it almost feels to you like you're over posting about it, mm-hmm. people aren't going to see it. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I started a Substack, and I, I've been wanting to do it for a while. If you've been listening to this podcast, you've likely heard me say before that I have, I've had a, a bunch of different essays that I've been wanting to write. And so I finally decided to, I don't know, put my time where my mouth is (laughs) and started the sub stack. I've got a bunch of things that um, I've written in the past that I've never really done anything with and that I've kind of started releasing those on the sub stack. Some of them are um, a bit like little pieces of a memoir. Some are poems. Some are uh, short stories. I'm working on an essay on forgiveness right now. Um, that I had kind of started and we did an episode on the podcast about it. I think the episode is 135. It's called as if saying the words will help me know how. Mm. So I'm working on that, hoping, hoping to put that out in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I had this, and it's been such a sort of half wonderful and half terrifying process to put this stuff out. Wonderful because I've gotten just some incredible responses from people that have just blown me away. Um, and also terrifying because some of the stuff's really personal. Like, um, the piece we're going to talk about tonight, I wrote about, uh, the beginning of the end of my marriage. And it was a little hard to put that out there. Uh, and just horrifying too. Like what if I fail at this or Mm. I can't do it or I don't do it? You know, I'm scared. Uh, I have these topics I want to write on. And sometimes when I sit down to try to write, I just completely clam up. Like mm-hmm. I don't know what to say or how to say it. And, you know, so I'm confronting it though, confronting myself. Um, so last week I put out a piece, uh, like I said, the one about the end of my marriage, it was, uh, really a piece of writing that I had done somewhat somewhat shortly after the divorce in an attempt to just try to write the way that I was feeling and what I was thinking and, um, to try to make sense of what happened. And I wrote a lot in that time and I edited it down 
into what is now on my Substack. It's the the piece is called "She Left on a Saturday," and I took a bunch of personal details out. The point is not to tell the story. The point is to try to pull out some of the insights or revelations or what I consider to be meaningful pieces of of writing that are in there. And I think the story reads fairly cohesively and makes makes a point without having to sort of dig up or betray personal details about that story. Mm-hmm. It was hard to edit it down to something that I was comfortable putting out in the public. Um, but that one in particular seemed, people seemed to resonate with and I feel like I'm talking a lot. Do you want to <laughs> say anything? Well, I'm mostly like, <clears throat> I mean the, it, well, it was interesting. Like when I read it, um, just because I know more behind the scenes stuff. So I, I think I was more interested whenever, uh, your friend had responded to you with the criticism right. that was really interesting to me. Cause that's when I realized that I had kind of re- re- read your, um, essay through the lens of having known a lot more of the information behind the scenes. Right. And so it kind of actually made me kind of check myself. I was like, Oh, was I reading the story or was I, mm. was I just, that was just kind of like, I was, that was my, my lens into, all the other stuff that you had gone through in that time. And so that, that, that was just kind of really fascinating to me whenever, uh, after I read, uh, your friends, uh, mm-hmm. remarks to you, I was just like, Oh, I didn't read the same story. Yeah. Which was kind of fascinating to me. <clears throat> so let me, let me address that. The, the remarks that my friend gave me. And then it's interesting that you talk about seeing it through a different lens, maybe than other people do. Cause I actually mm-hmm. address that in the piece. Mm-hmm that what you know and don't know changes what you see. Mm. Um, okay, so I put this out there, and a couple of days later, an old friend, uh, someone I've known since I was in high school probably, he's one of my parents' friends, he's uh, older than us, and I probably haven't talked to him in 10 years or something, a long time. In periods of my life, we've been closer, you know, and as it goes, as you get older, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't necessarily talk to everybody who you consider friends. So anyways, we haven't talked in a long time and he sent me an email and I'll just just, just describe (laughs) kind of the process of how I received this email. So I saw his name pop up on a notification on my phone. I clicked on it. It was early in the morning. I was probably 645. I was getting my kids ready for school and... Um, so I was kind of busy doing stuff, but I was like, Oh, Albert, uh, and clicked this and the email opened up. And the first thing that I saw was like, Oh, the email goes off the screen. How, <laughs> like this is a long email. And so I kind of scroll through it and it's, you know, a couple pages on the iPhone long. Um, and I wasn't going to read it right then, but a, and I'm going to say it this way on purpose, a line read itself to me. Um, I was thinking about if I were to like put a sentence up on a screen or a TV and then tell you to look at it, but not read it, you wouldn't be able to do it. The reading happens unconsciously in in a sense. And so as I was surveying the sort of size of this email, not trying to read it yet, but just looking at the, the length of the paragraphs and such a line read itself to me, you know, I wasn't trying. Mm -hmm. And the line was, um, well, now that I lost the email again. I thought I had it pulled up. Here we go. This installment is not good yet, hmm. but it has potential. That's fascinating that you would like lock on to that. Yeah. Out of all the things that well, he it, said. It and actually does make sense that cause you are, I, I find that you're very open to improvement. So that is something then I could see it standing out to you. Well, yeah. And I wonder if at some level I was reading other lines, but not mm-hmm. consciously. And that's the one that got my conscious attention, you yeah. know, as I was going through the bustling morning. And, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I read that line and, and then I just, I had to put the email away, put my phone down and go get my kids to, to school. And I was kind of moving about the morning and it just, I thought, well, that stings. I haven't heard from this person in a long time. And they're telling me that what I wrote isn't good. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I think about that. And I got my kids to school and I came home and I sat down and I read the email in depth and, um, the, the general shape of the email was 
I'm really glad for what you're doing. I felt really moved by what you wrote. Here's my feedback, basically. And it's unsolicited, and I hope I don't cause offense, but here's what I think. And he said, it's not good yet, but it has potential. And here's basically here's the places where I think you could improve it and the ways that you could edit it to make it stronger and make it better and spent, you know, I don't know, six or seven paragraphs really deeply analyzing what I had written and suggesting changes. And I read the email. I didn't quite know what to make of it or how to process it. And, um, throughout the day, I just started feeling whatever that sting was when I read it's not good yet started transforming into sort of an honor hmm. and then almost felt to me like love. Hmm. And I think part of that, the reason that is, is because he felt compelled enough by what I had written to want to respond. And then he actually took the time to respond and thoughtfully too and said i'm going to tell you what i think mm -hmm. and here it is here's the honest here's my honest thoughts and i just think it takes courage every step of that journey mm -hmm. to one have something to say and admit that to yourself two take the time to attempt to say it articulately and three honestly and then four actually hit send to the person that you want to send it to. And I just felt astounded by that mm. because I think that so often in our lives, we sense that we have something to say, you know, it might be a response to a piece of art we view or a movie we watch or something a loved one says to us, or, mm. um, you know, it might just be purely inspirational. Like I feel a poem coming on or something and we just don't, we don't say it because it takes courage to say it, to figure out what you have to say and you have to look at yourself. And then it takes courage to say it honestly, because we're always trying to hedge what we have to say against the risk of shame, against the risk of offending someone else and to do that honestly. And then to actually share it. I just felt like that felt so deep to me and right. I felt so thankful well, it's like a lot of things we talk about is uh, everything is relational. <clears throat> you know, there's a part that we have something that has been impressed upon us. And then we take the time to put it out into the world, <clears throat> you know, whether finished, unfinished or fairly polished. And then as we do that, you're sort of inviting people to experience it. And, and very few people will tell you how they experienced it, you know? Um, and so that's, it's interesting, like, Anytime we create something, whether it be a business or a poem or a story, it's like there's this relational aspect of it because you're not just putting it out into the world. I mean, even like with the podcast, you know, there's something that you and I relationally get out of this, but then also uh, those of you who are listening too, it's like there's there's a part that that you get to kind of pick up and carry and you might carry that to your friends and, or, or maybe respond to us, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So, so I think that's the part is like you, you have in order to, um, change and to, uh, to sort of grow, you have to sort of, you have to put something out into the world. You have to say yes to the relationship. You have yeah. to say yes to the job, to the, acting in the world and that's a that's a relational act and so I, I i find that when i read that email that the guy sent you um there's a difference between somebody who's just like let me tell you what's wrong right and it's in in those emails that you know you get those with as a business you're like here's all the things you're doing wrong mm -hmm. blah 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 mm -hmm. blah blah you're like oh, okay yes there's no parking this is Austin. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, like, but there's a difference when someone takes the time to really formulate their thoughts and ideas in a response. And that's why I, th I felt like when I read it, I was just like, wow, that's really meaningful. Like it yeah. was very well thought out. And, and, and again, cause I think that's a hard thing too, is when you're giving feedback, you know, some people have had a lot of experience with giving feedback and it's well positioned and said and, you know, eloquently spoken or written and, but when you're starting off, you're not going to be very eloquent or good at 
giving feedback Mm -hmm. and that takes practice in the relational part of like, you said this, but this is how I, I felt when you said that. And, and there's that kind of back and forth. So, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I don't know who this guy is, but you know, I just reading it, I was just like, Oh wow. There's like a lot of maturity there and how he presented that feedback to you. Right. Like he didn't sugarcoat it, but he also didn't like, he, he kind of gave you well packaged. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of, I, I think as I absorbed it, I thought, well, you're not, as you said, you're not simply just telling me that this isn't good. Mm-hmm. You're saying that it's not good compared to what would be good. And as I read his feedback, I got the sense that what would be good is not just like, oh, this is a good piece, but what do you consider good writing? Like, who are the authors that you're reading that you consider good? And I don't know who's he's reading, but I, I sort of got the sense that he's like, if you want to be in the realm of great writers, it isn't good yet in comparison to that, but here's what you could work on. And I thought that's where the love is because you're seeing something that's projecting an image of, of hope of potential. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, here's where I see you're falling short, which is to offend part of me. Mm -hmm in the service of making me better. And that's, that's so deeply loving, you know, and it isn't loving simply to praise someone. Although praise is a a good and necessary feedback. Um, but it isn't enough if you want someone to reach the highest potential because there are parts of them that need to improve. And part of improvement is, maturing and part of maturing is letting go of things, things that are not, aren't, 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 wow, aren't serving you, (laughs) aren't serving you well. Mm -hmm. Um, having your eyes opened to things that you didn't see. And, um, one of the things that he said in part of his feedback is shortly after that, he said, this isn't good yet, but it has potential. We have to be honest. And it reminded me of this quote from Thomas Paine, um, I just had it. Here it is. He who dares not offend cannot be honest. Hmm. And that quote is circulated quite a bit online in reference to free speech. Because the counter argument to free speech is, well, there's such a thing as hate speech and that shouldn't be tolerated. And if you say this, you're going to offend someone and you get into this you know, realm of trans-exclusionary radical feminists and all these other things. You know, offense is the greatest sin. Mm -hmm. And Payne's observation is correct. That if you can't dare to offend, then you can't be honest. And if you can't be honest, well, then you can't improve. And so I just thought, well, to the extent that you offended me, Mm -hmm. because you did offend part of me, you offended an immature part of me, which probably cares more about people liking me than actually producing something of quality. Um, you offended that part, but you, you did it honestly, which made it loving. And I feel loved and edified and supported. And I think it's like the greatest piece of feedback that I've gotten on my writing so far. And some of it has been really meaningful in other ways, you know, which, I could talk for a long time about some of those other ones, but this one was particularly meaningful because he didn't, well, I think you said it well, it's like he didn't pull punches, um, but he was mature mm-hmm. about it. And I just felt uh, very grateful. And I think maybe the thing that I want to encourage anyone listening to this to do is have the courage to say what you think have the courage to say it badly mm. and then figure out how you can improve it because you have the power to help other people reach their potential. Your perspective, your thoughts have that power. And when people give you feedback and criticism, remember that you can't become who you want to be without part of you being offended, part of you being uh, I want to say sort of like burned off or killed off mm. because it's hindering you or, or not serving you well. And you know that to be true and it hurts, mm-hmm. but you should celebrate it because when it comes 
it's not always going to feel loving, but when someone like my friend who wrote this is mature enough and skilled enough, you see the love in it. And it, and I just, I, I, it made me want more of that. It made me want to do more of that. Yeah. I love the idea of, of being able to say things, uh, in the way that you like, you might offend somebody, you might not be able to say it correctly, and part of it is, is saying it and learning how to better say that into the future too. Cause it's important for us to give the people in our, in our sphere feedback on, you know, how that impacts you. And I think that I, I can see it definitely in marriage is, is one area is where, you know, in some, in some marriages there's, you know, it's a little bit harsher of a feedback and they kind of have to tone it down. But, but in that part, they're learning to like, okay, I need to take it down to a seven instead of a nine, <laughs> you know, where, where in other relationships, probably also I fit more of this category where we react at a three where we need to move it up to about a five. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there's something just personally you can kind of evaluate is like, is what kind of feedback do I give to the people around me? Am I always giving feedback all the time? Well, maybe dial it down to a seven <laughs> or a six and be more a little bit aware of, of, your audience and who you're talking to. Well, and maybe check yourself too, that when you're giving feedback, are you giving feedback Mm. or are you expressing disdain, Mm. jealousy, annoyance? And if those, if that's the case, which it likely is, Mm -hmm. then maybe you need to say, do I love this person? Mm. Do I want them to reach their potential? That's a really great point. And if that's the case, mm-hmm. then I need to figure out how to align my feedback with that and not with my, what I'm feeling inside. That is a super great point. I think anytime that you're giving feedback is like, do I want this person to be a better person? Do I want the best for them? And I think there's a, there's a framing in how you said that, that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Anything else on that? Um, yeah, I would, I, <clears throat> something too is is I think there's a part where you know when you're in the world and you're acting in the world, whether it be through you know your music or you know poetry, literature, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Um, it's interesting because there's also a fine line where feedback can also be a hindrance, mm-hmm. and that you're getting too much feedback and you need to actually just move forward yeah. and keep doing because just in the doing of things, uh, there's a sort of refinement in that. And if you spend all your time listening to what everybody says and how they feel about what you're doing, you know, uh, like we were talking about before, like, you know, it's like when I first started Medici, when Alice, I first started Medici, you know, it's friends and family. Like those are the people that are filling your shop. Right. <laughs> and it's like at some point, you know, it, you know, they kind of have to go back to their normal lives and normal routines. And, yeah. you know, then you kind of get your regular customers and stuff like that. Um, so when you put something out into the world and, you know, and, and nobody shows up to it or your friends and family don't show up to it, either, uh, either, uh, a dissident that needs to keep going because you have something to say that people don't want to hear, mm. Or you maybe not just need to stop doing whatever you're doing. <laughs> you know, there's this, so I think there's that part where um, I, I like to kind of think of on the other side of where, uh, whenever you are being discouraged, but you have something that you feel is is worth something. Yeah, that that just keep going and keep putting it out there. And there's a certain refinement that happens, uh, even if the criticism that you're getting is not very helpful, and the people that are giving you that feedback aren't don't have your best interest in mind. Hmm. Uh, Cause I think that I have, I think that happens more than the letter that you got. <laughs> yeah. It's more discouraging. I'll let me tell you what you've done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There does in any, well, maybe it is in any endeavor. There is a point at which something has to be called. It has to be done in a sense or done enough, you know, I think I've been sitting on a lot of writing for a long time thinking, well, it's not good enough. Needs more editing. I need to write more. I need to do more. And how many years need to go by 
you know, and I could be soliciting feedback from, you know, people I respect or love in that entire process. But what good is that if that process takes years or decades or all of your life, you know, you've, you failed to do something with the thing that you felt like you should do something with at some point it has to be offered up to the world in, in, in say, I'm going to share this, I'm going to publish it or post it or whatever. It may not be good or it may be kind of good or good in ways, but could be improved in other ways. But at some point it has to be shared. And I, like, I think about the process of recording records you, you're in a recording studio and there's a lot of people involved and everybody has thoughts and everybody has opinions and everybody has feedback and a lot of it's good. Some of it's maybe not so good, but it doesn't matter. At some point you have to say, we're done. Mm. This thing has to get put out. And that's, that's sort of like plainly evident when you're spending a lot of money per hour in a recording studio. It's like the budget's running out. Feedback is ineligible <laughs> after this, you yeah. know, we uh, got to go, yeah. you know, or like for, with, with your shop at some point, well, we got to open the doors and sell coffee. Otherwise the party ends and there's nothing to give feedback about, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think in, in, in a sense, the whole thing requires courage, requires, requires courage to put something into the world that could receive feedback. It takes courage to give the feedback. It takes courage to <clears throat> accept that you're not as good as you could be yeah. to accept that what you put out isn't as good as it could have been. And say, well, let's do let's do better the next time. Yeah, it's like nobody comes out a fully grown human. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, it's, so whenever you put something out in the world, it is like a baby. I mean, I think of Medici, you know, back 17 years ago when Alice and I opened in 2006. You know, there were so many parts that were just hanging on by a thread. <laughs> you know, but at some point you have to put it into the world in its baby form and it's going to poop everywhere and, <laughs> you know, yeah. not make intelligible sentences. And mm -hmm. then as you, as you curate that over time, those things start to, you know, potty training and words and walking and all these things kind of happen. I think that's the same thing in the creative processes, yeah. uh, which, which is interesting too, is, is now there's almost no excuse for anybody. I mean, before you could say, Oh, there's all these power brokers that, you have to get through in order to. Yeah. That used to be true. Used to be true. Like in the music industry mm -hmm. or probably the publishing, publishing industry. Yeah. Yeah. And nowadays there's so many ways that you can just start mm -hmm. and yes, three people only read your blog or your Substack mm -hmm. or, or whatever it might be. But that's where it starts is, is with three people and then maybe seven and 10 or whatever. Right. Well, I've been reflecting a lot on, um, failure and success mm -hmm. in something that I've believed for a long time. And I just believe more and more is that anything that becomes successful, whether, you know, it's a, a career in music or a, a small business, um, writing, anything that you look at and you, you admire, or perhaps even envy, you know, that, it's successful. Why am I not successful or something mm. like that? I, 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 over my life, anyone that I've looked at that I know that has become successful in anything, the common denominator that I see, or at least one of them is, well, if there's more than one, I guess it wouldn't be the common one, but, <laughs> uh, the general common denominator. <laughs> well, the thing that gets people there is gets people to outcomes that I consider successful is persistence and consistency and failure through, through failure. <laughs> through failure yeah. yeah. Like I failed, I'm going to keep pushing forward mm -hmm. and keep pushing forward consistently. Mm -hmm. So you start something like a blog or a sub stack and you're bummed because you spent countless hours writing something and three people read it and you think, well, this is meaningless. Mm -hmm. No, it's not yeah. keep going. And if you don't stop and if you don't stop, if you're persistent and consistent, your work will find its audience hmm. or your audience will find your work. However you want to think about that. But the, the surefire way that you can guarantee your work won't find your audience is by stopping. Hmm. 
you know, and there was a common, uh, well, I don't know how common it was, but I read an article at some point sort of poured, pointing out that almost every musician that comes out with like a hit record and, and they're like an overnight success, almost all of them have a backstory of 10 years of grinding, yeah. even the young ones. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you don't see that part because mm-hmm. it wasn't public. Like mm-hmm. no one liked it, wasn't getting responses. Uh, so you didn't see it. And then all of a sudden they're a success and you think, Oh, well they're just really talented. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, maybe they're talented, yeah. but that's not why they're in front of you. Yeah. They're in front of you because they, they wanted to be, and they didn't stop. Hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's the same thing with entrepreneurs too. And I think that's also whenever people look at Medici 17 years later, they look at it at the 17 year mark rather than I've started probably 12 other businesses (laughs) (laughs) that have failed Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe more, uh, a production company, baking sandwiches, uh, another, uh, taco and sandwich company, Mm -hmm. four shops that have gone, you know, it's like, so, so it's interesting. Like a lot of times we see, or the Steve jobs who, you know, did Apple. And I know we've talked about him quite a few times, but, you know, there's just so many, I think failures mark most of the, the spreadsheet or the resumes of a lot of people we, we deem successful today. Right. There's an exercise that I've kind of wanted to do. So two concurrent ideas. One is, uh, you know, uh, the all in podcast, Mm -hmm. Chamath, do you know how to say his last name? No, I don't. (laughs) But I think Chamath, everyone should know that one. Just yeah. all in podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, he did an interview on Lex Friedman. Oh, yeah. And he talked about how, <clears throat> I, I don't remember how he put it, but basically the idea that the idea of failure itself is a misconception. Hmm. It's almost as if there's no such thing as failure. There is only learning. Yeah. And if you look at it that way, you aren't failing, you're learning. Hmm. And you don't really learn. And I mean, that's the end of what he said. And here's what I think is you don't learn very much when something is freakishly Hmm. successful Hmm. because you think, Oh, I know exactly what I'm doing. This is working out great. Uh You know, that's foolish. You learn when you fail. Yeah. Um, and the other thought is I, I started re- reading recently because I have been thinking about this topic a lot. Um, this book by Scott Adams called how to fail at almost everything and still win big. Hmm. And he has an entire chapter dedicated to all of his failures and lists them out like, it, you know, and writes about what they were and why it failed. And, um, I thought that's great. Hmm. I kind of want to do that. I want to list out everything I've tried to do in my life and, write down why it failed. Mm-hmm. Like what sort of gold is in there yeah. that I've been looking at as failure, failure when really it was a lesson. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. Like, you know, anytime somebody wants to me talk about Medici, probably like my 2013 with Guad and the floor falling, like that was, that's my, mm-hmm. that's the thing I'm most proud of. And it's my biggest, like, <laughs> like we almost went out of business, you know, tell that story. Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, we had this, these flies and the smell for about a year and it got worse and worse and worse. And we, I had plumbers, pest control. I had all these people coming out and everyone was telling me like, it's $10,000, but we don't know if we'll fix it. And anyways, at some point it got to the point where the floor started cracking and, and there was about a foot and a half difference over a 10 foot, uh, length. <laughs> wow. And so I called my landlord. I was like, Hey, if you don't fix this, I can't, I, I'm going to close down. And was this a pier and beam? Mm-hmm. Fl- okay. Pier and beam. It was concrete over pier and beam. And so what had happened was that the, the, the wood was, was rotting underneath. And mm. from what we had no clue what it was. And, uh, anyways, long story short, uh, it was supposed to be like a two week fix. My landlord came in and was going to like do this like 24 hour, seven days a week type of thing. Four months later, gosh, <laughs> you know, uh, and you're closed <clears throat> this whole time, right? closed yeah. the whole time. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, anyways, I mean, I'm a, I'm a small business. I don't have the money to do 
you know, to do anything with that. Uh, so like my wife and I had to make a decision, you know, do we take out high interest loans? I mean like, you know, the 20% to 22% type of loans or do we just fold the whole thing? Like we couldn't like not just fold one of them. We had to fold everything. Yeah. And so Alice and I were like, okay, let's do it. And so we took on these high interest loans and got through it. And about two years later, we re- refinanced it all. But it was like getting punched in the teeth hmm. daily and for you about say, two years. Did you say earlier that this is one of the things you're most proud of? I'm most proud of because, I mean, that was like, I was pushed to my edge. I, I don't yell at people. I hardly ever get mad at people. And I got mad at this one person. That was my cabinet person. <laughs> it was having a person? No, my cabinet person. Oh, I, I remember that. Yeah. And Thomas, who has, he's worked with me at that point. It was uh, six years and uh, he ended up being with me for 14 years, but he was like, I have never saw you get mad before. <laughs> uh, I don't want to, I don't want to like demolish this person's the, the, the I was yelling at, but it just like, she basically told me that I couldn't do something with my cabinet that I was like, um, excuse me, like this is my cabinet and I'm talking to the guy who's cutting this thing and 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 so i was like hey can you just cut it here she's like no you can't do that i was like anyways you, <laughs> I was like, you were the point is you were pushed <laughs> yeah, to your sorry. edge yeah. i'm reliving it right now yeah i have never been that mad i don't think ever uh but but i think that was symbolic of that whole that whole period of four months plus into the years that we had to kind of refinance and pay that off um like i was at my edge yeah and so even the pandemic almost wasn't as bad as, mm. as that moment, because, yeah. you know, number one, I was inexperienced. I was a young business entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, hadn't gone through something really, I mean, you know, normal tough things of, you know, not paying bills and stuff like that. <laughs> That's just normal for new, uh, <laughs> new businesses. Yeah. Uh, but this like took me to my absolute edge. Mm. And so since then I can kind of look back and use that as my sort of, litmus test of like, Oh yeah, this isn't so bad, <laughs> but it's like those, those types of things build mm-hmm. character and give you reference too, as far as like, Oh wow, I can, I can go that far. Like I didn't know, I didn't know I could hold my breath for that long. Like, you know, it's, yeah. It reminds me of blanking on who said it, but something like the, it's like one of the philosophers said something, uh, the, the body should be treated rigorously mm. that it be obedient to the mind. Mm. And I think about that when I do things like cold exposure Mm. or even like working out and I don't want to do it. And I think, no, I'm doing this so that my body is obedient. And when you do something hard and you get through something hard like that at at the beginning of the day, you kind of do look back on that throughout the day and say, well, I did that. Mm. I got through that. I can get through this. I think it's a similar, as you're saying, over the longer term, it's like in the 10 years that it, since that event, mm-hmm. you, you don't, well, I have this theory that pain is only painful because you're afraid of how painful it might get. Mm. Like when you cut yourself at first, you don't feel uh, anything. Mm-hmm. And then you look at your finger and you see a little bit of white and you're like, shit, that's deep. And mm-hmm. then you get scared. And then the pain comes. And I think when you have something to look back on and say, oh, it's obviously not as bad as that. And I made it through that. Okay. Then you're, then you're not afraid of where that pain is going to peak anymore. Cause mm. you know, you can handle it mm. and you don't feel it and you work through it. Totally. That just made me think we need to have Alice on next podcast. Cause that's something that she has taught me through her pregnancies is, you know, you think if you start focusing on the pain mm-hmm. and you start clinching, you actually make it, you make it worse. Right. And that's something that, you know, but, but again, I've, I've talked about this before, but like, you know, seeing Allison from the first pregnancy in birth to the fifth, our fifth kid, you know, you just saw her learn that about mm-hmm. her body mm-hmm. and you just react totally different whenever it's familiar. Yeah. Like I'm about to do something really hard. Like again, you're a musician, and you've done this type of stuff before, but this is different. It's writing. Mm-hmm. However, you have that experience of putting things out in the world and getting that feedback. 
or even our podcast. You know, when we first started, we were like, oh, gosh, we're going to do a podcast. It was so <laughs> weird at the beginning. And now you and I just sit down and we just start talking. You know? Well, and at the <clears> beginning, <throat> we were we were very careful about what we talked about. And we, we yeah. had like blacklist subjects that we wouldn't, <clears throat> mm-hmm. we agreed not to go near mm-hmm. religion and politics being two. <laughs> we talk about this stuff all the time now mm-hmm. as things become familiar, which is to say like they become less scary. Mm-hmm. Things get a lot easier. And it, rem- it reminds me, I don't know who said it. You know what I'm talking about though, but the pain is simply information. Oh, pain is information. Yeah, that's good. And if the information coming at you is coming from an unknown source of an unknown severity, then your response to that might be fear. Mm. And that fear is going to, I'm thinking about like signal and noise. It's going to add a lot of noise to that signal, that information that you need. Mm. And if you can get rid of the fear and say, what information am I being given here? Let me use it to address something to do something, to improve something, change something, heal something, then you don't, it's almost like, um, failure is learning. Hmm. You don't experience it as pain anymore. You experience it as well, information. Mm -hmm. Failure is learning. Pain is information. It's definitely super valuable to, and again, I think that's, it's hard because there's a part of this that's not a part of our modern worldview. We kind of want to be safe. We want everything to have a, uh, a safety net underneath it. And that's just really not how the world has worked and almost never. And we do enjoy a lot of modern conveniences that do seem like that we have a safety net, but that means you're, you're not going, you're not going far enough you know, there's, if you, if, if you're working with a net, it's like, well, that's like what children do. They work with a net that's called your parents. Hmm. You know, they, they kind of like curate you and help you through to life. And, and they're always your net to kind of catch you, uh, you know, whether like physically or, you know, uh, you know, as you're growing to kind of keep you within some sort of framework that's appropriate to your age and that you're being challenged enough but not too challenged that you get discouraged, you know? And so there's a sort of safety net with your parents, but as you grow older, like that safety net goes away mm-hmm. and it should go away. And I think your parents still can be a safety net, but that it's like, it's where you can kind of go back to them. But for the most part, the you're working without a net now. It's almost like it needs to go away in order for the thing that it's there to protect mm. to actually exist. Mm-hmm. The two examples that went through my head as you were talking, the first one is tightrope walking. Oh, I was doing the same thing across <laughs> the, the, the Twin Towers. Uh, no, I oh. wasn't. Oh, but that's awesome. We could talk about that. That was amazing. I was thinking more of like at a circus or something okay. and you're watching somebody maybe on the trapeze or something like that. And if there's a net below them, mm. you think, well, that's not quite as interesting. Mm-hmm. And you might say that's just like uh, really dark of you to say this would be more interesting to me if there wasn't a net. Uh-huh. But it changes the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? And it isn't just the risk of death. It's the necessity for a uh, high level of skill and attention practice. Uh, it requires expertise. Mm. And so you know what you're witnessing is that expertise, and that's what makes it interesting, not the fact that they might fall to their death. Mm. Is the same in um, poker. Like mm. you're watching a poker game, and somebody makes a big, goes all in, makes a big, big bet, a million dollars. If you knew that if somebody lost a million dollars, there was going to be some program that was going to pay them back 80% of that safety net, right? Yeah it wouldn't be poker anymore. Mm -hmm. It would be a different game and you wouldn't be nearly as interested. And so for the game to be the game that it is, there can't be a safety net Mm. for expertise to be expert. It's like, there can't be a safety net. And Mm -hmm. I think there's, it's hard for me to exactly like abstract and expand that sort of metaphor. Maybe to use uh, something from childhood, if you're riding a bike with training wheels on, you're, you're not riding a bike and you can't experience the pleasure of riding a bike, mm. you know, because a lot of that pleasure is 
is the sort of G forces on your body. When you go to make a turn and you're leaning over and in the counterintuitive nature of like, Oh, I'm leaning toward the pavement and going really fast, but I'm not falling down. I'm like glued to the road. It's, it's a brilliant feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't experience that if you have training wheels. Yeah. And it isn't the risk of falling that makes bicycling great. It's that you can't experience what it is mm. without the risk. Yeah. Without taking the training wheels off. Yeah. Well, also just to kind of go back to the uh, Twin Towers uh, thing. I yeah, mean, yeah. This, Do you remember that guy's name? God, I don't remember the guy's name, but there's a there's a documentary about it, and it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this guy trained so much to do this. And I think he made two attempts and called off one. I, I forget how that worked out, but... Philip Petit. But, I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, that's kind of like, that's when the nets are gone. And... He, like the confidence of what he had trained for, like he put to action. I think that's the part too is, is that it's, it's great to talk about doing something, but at some point you have to put it to action mm-hmm. or it's just talk and, and you don't want to go through your life just, and again, you, and if you fail, you fail. I mean, hopefully not, hopefully not fall off the twin towers or something like that. But basically he like, he snuck in and another crew, on the other side and connected a wire from each of the twin towers Mm -hmm. before they went down, obviously, um, and got out there and spent, I think 15, 20 minutes. I think it was longer than that. Maybe even longer than that. Walking back and forth on this wire, a hundred stories in the air. Yeah. There's a, so you mentioned the documentary, it's called man on wire. wire, It's excellent. Highly recommend it. The thing that, I'm thinking about that relates to this conversation in that mm-hmm. movie is he trains forever and ever mm-hmm. and has to solve a bunch of problems in order to actually do the stunt. Cause he's breaking the law and breaking mm-hmm. and entering. And ultimately the cops come up on the roof and they're trying to get him to come off the wire. And he's just like, you can't make me, Yeah, you, know, come you, out here and get you me. can't come get me. <laughs> but he talks about how, uh, leading up to it, he was afraid. And then, he once he got out there and was doing it and you know how many stories were the twin down i mean it's really high yeah 101 Mm -hmm. uh so it's about a thousand feet more Mm -hmm. yeah he's up there on a wire and he talks about how the fear just melted away yeah he had done the work he had done the preparation he knew his body he knew himself he trusted himself and there was no fear and i think that's kind of exactly what we're talking about. Hmm. If you, if your, if your body is in service to your mind and is trained and prepared and has been treated rigorously yeah. and you can trust it, then there is no reason for fear. Hmm. And that, I thought that was beautiful. It is. I mean, that definitely goes into a lot of the things we talked about with like, uh, uh master and his emissary and, uh, Gil, uh, Ian McGilchrist, like, there's this part where, you know, you're learning something new and then as you learn it, it goes into your, it, and that's in your right hemisphere and then it moves into your left hemisphere where it becomes yeah. almost programmed in a sense. But then when you perform the action, it actually moves back into your right hemisphere. Uh, like when you actually are performing the play or walking the tightrope in the situation. Uh, so there's just something really absolutely beautiful about that. And, and I think that's the part too is where, you know, putting something out into the world, there's a certain idea that that's practice Hmm. because you're, you're not ready for the main stage yet. You know, you need to start working out on the, on the, the rope that's two feet from the ground. Right. You know, and then you move it to 10, you move it to 20. Well, then you start putting in adverse wind effects. Cause I mean, a hundred, a thousand feet in the air, you're, Mm -hmm. you're dealing with large amounts of weather, you know, patterns and wind currents and stuff like that. So you kind of keep taking yourself and challenging yourself to the next level. Uh, you know, I think that's why we're so inspired by uh, extreme sports and people who do fascinating and amazing things because they sh- they're showing us something that is possible. Like what was that one thing where it was a four minute mile or three minute mile or that I forgot what the, what it was, but nobody could break it. And then once it was broken, like it was broken all the time. Hmm. And I forgot what that, what that was specifically. Maybe it was the marathon, but, uh, but there's something about when someone demonstrates to us that something is possible, 
it's inspiring. It's inspiring. And almost, they almost get left in the dust because everyone goes beyond, mm, yeah. <laughs> beyond it. Uh, you do something that was thought to not be possible and mm-hmm. then everybody goes and surpasses you. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of makes you think like, well, what are we capable of? Yeah. It, it, is our only limitation, our own belief that there is a limitation? Mm there's been a lot of aspects in my life sort of somewhat recently where I've come across that thought. Like the other place was when we read that, uh, um, book about breath. Hmm. Who's the author? James Nestor, James Nestor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After I read that book, I thought, well, what is my body capable of Hmm. that? I just don't even know how to imagine because I assume so many limitations on my body. And when you look at somebody like Philippe, petite walking the wire and you think how is he capable of overcoming the fear or you look at alex honnold Mm. free soloing el cap and you think how is he physically capable of doing it one but mentally capable of doing it two and we're also fascinated by it like doctors are putting him in mri you know machines Mm and um there's another great documentary about the climbing scene called valley uprising Hmm. it's about how sort of the modern sport of climbing originated in Yosemite Valley and in like the sixties wasn't even that long ago. And the things people were doing back then were essentially just like drilling bolts in the wall, attaching ropes to them and then pulling themselves up on a rope. And they were calling that climbing (laughs) and you fast forward 60 years. Like if you were to show a, a 20 year old in 1960 camping, you know, hippie on the Yosemite Valley floor, <laughs> a video of Alex Honnold free soloing El Cap guide probably keel over dead. Like yeah. it's just too much unbelievable, you mm-hmm. know, and it didn't take that long. And that's just because people did what they thought wasn't possible in increments and it inspired other people to do more. Mm. And maybe back to our sort of conversation about feedback and the, the pitfall of not putting something out because you don't think it's good enough. Hmm. Like I think there's a case to be made that you're doing a disservice to the world in general because you are preventing its improvement by choosing not to add yourself to it. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, we're all meant to act in the world. And, and, and that's the cool thing about it is that it's never going to look the same. And that's one thing with coffee shops and, you know, with Medici, it's like we've had probably over 12 coffee shops. People have worked with me, open coffee shops. And that's the beautiful thing is they come and, you know, learn and improve on things and go and do their own thing. And each one of them looks different and it is different because once you put your personality and your, your creativeness into it, you actually end up creating something different. Yes, right. we all serve coffee, you know, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's different somehow. And nobody can recreate Medici. Like that, it's impossible. Well, and people, coffee shops is a great example. It's like mm-hmm. people go to different coffee shops at different times for different for things. Reasons, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, we don't have to get into the reasons for it, but like mm-hmm. I have a coffee shop that I go to if I want to work. No, you don't. I have a coffee shop that I go to if I want good coffee. Mm-hmm. I have a coffee shop that I go to if, you know, I know that uh, my girlfriend really likes this one thing from this place. It's mm-hmm. like you use different things and all of these are manifestations of a common, let's say like a common aspiration or an aspiration toward a common vision, mm-hmm. but they manifest out differently. Totally. And to the extent that you say of yourself. Well, I'm not going to do what I feel like I should do or share what I feel compelled to share. You're withholding a possible better future from those around you. Mm -hmm. And I think I truly believe that to be the case. Then it doesn't matter whether you're talking about art or business. Mm -hmm. I had this experience recently where I was at a family reunion and an uncle of mine was telling me all of these stories, some of which I had heard different versions of, or I was present for some, but didn't know that side of it. Mm. And I thought, you're really changing the way I'm seeing my life here. Interesting. Yeah. And also, why didn't you tell me before? If I had this information, this understanding, perhaps I would be living a different life somehow. Mm. Like, and I thought, 
Well, if I take that principle that if you choose not to show up, let's say, or share what you feel compelled to share or tell some side of a story, you're preventing that march of progress, that march of expanding, lifting the ceiling of what we are capable of. What's the high end of that? Hmm. Well, you just start to think about it. If all the people that have influenced your life, if they didn't put it out there, like you would be a lesser person. Well, and that's what I'm trying to say. It's like we talk about lesser person. We talk about ex- exceeding what we previous thought, previously thought was impossible. Like where does all that go? And this is where a, a word like heaven comes into play. Hmm. Like what's the upper limit of the progress of our species? What's the upper limit of your own progress to become who you truly are? Mm-hmm. I think heaven is sort of the placeholder word we use for that. And to the extent that we don't share our stories, that we don't attempt to do what we feel inspired to do, we withhold heaven by Hmm. increments. Whereas the alternative is, I feel like I have something to say, or I feel like there's something I might be able to do. I want to go do it. I want to say it. And I'm going to, even though I know it might be good, it might be a failure, because I want to participate in pushing humanity, the world, my loved ones into whatever is the highest good it could be into heaven. Hmm. And there seems to be a moral obligation there. Hmm. Like if you have the ability to move something toward heaven or toward hell, don't you have a moral obligation to move it toward heaven? And wouldn't that be, and here's the crazy thing is like to do that is actually to do the things that you want to do that inspire you Mm. to actually write the thing you want to write, play the song you want to play, start the business you want to start, go climb the wall. Mm. You know, it isn't obligation that causes people to do such things. It's, it's like pure calling, pure desire. Mm. And if heaven is a result of that, how cool is that deal? Yeah. I think we got to end there. That was too good. <laughs> <laughs> how far in are I we? I don't know. <clears throat> no, we still got some time. We get in there. We're well, at about an hour. About an hour. Um, I don't know. That was really inspiring. I was inspired. Good. Yeah. I, I find that absolutely compelling. Mm-hmm. And like just such a gift. Well, I mean, I, I just come to like all the different people that inspire me and they make me see the world a different way and the possibilities, the potential. And it's interesting, like just in, you know, I think of all the different areas, whether it be finance or poetry or literature, business, entrepreneurs, like because they told their story and because they had an impact in the world, they benefited me. You know, my wife benefits me. My kids benefit me. And these are all hard and difficult things, but it just, but because, you know, we make these commitments and we have these people in our lives, it's like they change us. And it, it's just so inspiring to, to think about, you know, again, I think that's the beautiful thing about kids is like, I want to build a better world for my kids. And if I don't act in the world, then how does that happen? You know, yeah. and, and that's something that is also inspiring to do. It's like it's important for you to write those stories. It's important for us to podcast, to mm-hmm. do our, to do the business, to do the. It's like because mm. then when we act in the world, we're creating something. Mm. Hopefully, something beautiful for our <laughs> for the generations to come. Because we're only here for a blink of an eye. <laughs> I feel personally encouraged by that. Mm. You know, I think there's a lot of things that I want to do. And I think there's a lot of reasons I can give for not doing them Mm. and a lot of good, like good reasons. Like I have responsibilities, you know, like Mm -hmm. things need to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I could say, well, I can't really do that right now. I need to be, you know, I need to clean the kitchen. I need to do this for the kids. I need to do, you know, and you can almost deny your own calling Mm. in pursuit of what you, in pursuit of some other good, you know, 
but what you just said is, no, it's important. Mm. And so maybe that gives license to me or to, to anyone to say, no, it's important. I'm going to sit down and do this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit down and do and write this thing. I feel like I should write for reasons that I don't understand. Yeah. Once a week, 10 minutes a day, Yeah, 15 minutes a day. It's and a- give yourself the, the, the license to admit to yourself or to believe that mm-hmm. it is important. Yeah. Like in my mind right now, I'm just thinking like, man, I would love to tell T.S. Eliot, dude, your stuff has so inspired me. Hmm. And he's been dead for a uh, hundred years, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe less than that. But like, you know, it, it just think about the, the different people that I've, I've read and, mm-hmm. and that have inspired me that they're long gone. <laughs> they're not even here yet. Yeah. But not to mention the people that are still here. Yeah. Living alive, you know, that, that are also that inspiration that you could just fire off a text. Oh yeah. Totally. Whereas you can't text TSL. <laughs> I can't text TSL. <laughs> I think that's a good title for this episode. You can't text T.S. Eliot, but you can call your mom. There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Love you all out there. Thanks Definitely. for listening. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Bye. This is really fun.